Though it's used in a variety of different ways, it's not hard to understand. Take means take, pure and simple. It's also a word that we see used in the Bible. Often it's accompanied with a challenge that involves action. We see the word and then it calls us to take a step. Join Valley Point Church as we look at four different uses of the word take in scripture. This week, Eric unpacks what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus with all that you are. We begin a new series today called Take, and that is a word that can be found and heard just about everywhere and anywhere. It's a word that gets used more than what we think, too. So I kind of came up with my own list of how I use the word take, and you see if this list works for you. Here's my list. Take a left. Take a break. Take notes. Take out the trash. Take the car. Take a snack. Take your phone. Take your time. Let's take a look. Let's take a trip. Why don't you take a rest? Take some aspirin. Take a deep breath. Did you take a bath? Hopefully no one is asking that this morning. How long does it take? Don't take it out on me. Take care of yourselves. Take whatever you want. Take my advice. Let's take a picture. Take a week off. Take the money. Take advantage of the opportunity. How long is this talk going to take? Hey, take it easy. See the word take. We use this a lot more than what we probably think. Uniquely, it's also a word that we find in Scripture. And when we find it, it is normally accompanied by a challenge to do something. We see the word, and then we're called to take a step. We're called to take action. Here's what's really interesting. God used this word. There's no denying that. It's just true because we can walk through the pages of Scripture and we can find this word. So God used it and Jesus spoke it. And so here's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. We're going to look at four different uses of this word take in Scripture. Now, it's used a whole lot more than that, but we're just going to zero in on these four different uses. But we're going to do more than just look at it, and we're going to do more than just talk about it. We're going to actually take some intentional steps together. I'm really excited about this new series. I'm fired up about it for a couple of different reasons. It's going to force us to think. And whenever we have the opportunity to think about where we stand before God, when we're kind of gently pushed to do that, that is always a good thing. And so I'm excited because we're going to have to think about who we are and where we stand before God. I'm also excited because we're going to have to look at some stuff in our life and there might be some items that we have to take out that are keeping us from being fully devoted followers of Jesus. So again, we're going to walk through these different paragraphs and it's going to gently, maybe not even gently, maybe it'll just really, really push us to look deep on the inside and take out some of those things that are keeping us from being fully devoted. So let's begin. The first paragraph that we're going to look at with this word take is found in Luke chapter 9. Luke is one of the four writers that shared the life and the story of Jesus. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. 
And Luke is a very unique character out of that list of authors, and there's a few different reasons why. First of all, Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the entire Bible. So the rest of the authors of Scripture are all Jewish in their background. Luke is the only one who is not a Jewish individual. And so that right there makes him kind of unique and different, and it makes you want to investigate what he has to say. Not only that, but Luke was known for being a great historian. His accurate records of this important, this most important time in the history of the world is known for being spot on. And even the people who don't really care about the Bible and don't even really like it and don't think it's all true, they'll look at Luke and they'll say, guess what? He got it right because he's really accurate with his history. Not only that, but Luke was a scientist and a medical doctor. So he's a non-Jewish writer, the only one in scripture. He's a great historian. He's a scientist and a doctor. This is a really smart individual who would observe things. He was curious. And in the middle of all of that, he's following Jesus around and recording all of the different things that Jesus is saying. And God used Luke, the smart, curious, observant individual, to write two books in the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. In Luke chapter 9, we find Jesus talking to his close followers And then he begins to speak to a crowd as well. And he's throwing down some really hard truths. As a matter of fact, the challenge that Jesus is throwing out is so intense and so severe that people are kind of stepping back and saying, Jesus, I don't know if we can do that. And that is a really, really hard thing that you're asking of us. And I don't know if that's possible. We need to think about this. We just have to step back. I don't know if we're prepared and ready for that. And this is where we find our use of the word take. So we're going to check out Luke chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. And out of respect for God and his word, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read. Verse 18, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? It's a great question. How do you think you'd respond to that? If somebody came to you and said, who is Jesus? How do you describe him? What do you say about him? What would you say? Well, Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was, which is kind of a curious thing because you get the sense that Jesus wants everybody to know who he is, but his time hadn't come yet and there were some things that needed to happen. And so he asked his followers, just keep this on the down low for a little bit. Verse 22, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You may be seated. I want to look at verse 23 again because it's fascinating and it's where we find our word. If any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus said, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Let's be honest. That's kind of a strange and mysterious thing to say, don't you think? It would certainly be a strange and mysterious thing to say today. Take up your cross. It's just kind of different. Since moving to the Northeast, I have picked up some new hobbies. And one of the hobbies that I've really started to enjoy is visiting historical churches. Now, that might be weird to you, but it's fun for me, and I enjoy that because there are some very fascinating things that you find on or in these churches. It's just kind of fun to see. This past summer, Tanya and I had the chance to go to Newport, Rhode Island. It's just a beautiful city, and there is a church called St. Mary's. It's the church where John F. Kennedy and Jackie were married in 1954, and so I wanted to go and see this church. And so we went, and immediately when we got there, I noticed a cross that was way up on top of the building. You almost couldn't see it. It was so far up there. And so I had to get the right angle and kind of position myself in such a way where I could see this cross because I thought it was a beautiful thing on the building. We walked inside and got to see the place where John F. Kennedy sat and the altar where they were married, and that was all pretty fascinating. And then on the stage, there was this crucifix that just caught your attention and caused you to pause and to reflect the cross. It's a central figure to the followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, when you think about Jesus and you think about Christianity, you generally think about the cross. Ash Wednesday was this past week, which begins the Lent season. Ash Wednesday gets its name from the placing of ashes on the forehead in the shape of a cross. Lent then takes us to the Easter season where we think about how Jesus suffered a very vicious and a cruel death on the cross. And so here you have Jesus saying to a crowd, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you really want to get passionate about me, then it is time to take up your cross. The central figure to a lot of what we think about and a lot of our practices and a lot of our conversations. It's the cross. And here Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you want to be after me, then you need to take up your cross. So what is Jesus saying? And what does he mean by that? Maybe you're here and you're trying to figure that out. You're fascinated by Jesus and you're not sure about him, but he's interesting to you and you like a lot of the things that he did and a lot of the causes that he was involved in and the way that he taught is kind of interesting to you. But you want to know what the fine print is because as with anything, there's always some fine print. So you're kind of curious about that and you're wondering, what does it mean if I follow Jesus and give my life to him? Or maybe you've taken that step already. 
and you've trusted in Jesus, but you're kind of wondering, is there something more? Is there more that I can give? Is there more that I can share? Well, here's what we're all going to discover today. If we truly want to follow after Jesus and be his disciple, then we must, we must take up our cross. And that's our big idea for today. Take up your cross. So let's kind of unpack that and try to figure out what it means. I want to begin by thinking about what it doesn't mean. All right, so before we think about what it actually means to take up your cross, let's kind of think about what it doesn't mean. Many people interpret cross as some type of burden that they must carry. And we even throw out that cliche, like this is my cross to bear. This is my cross to carry. And maybe that's a financial strain in your life, and that's just your cross, your burden. Or maybe it's a strained relationship, and that's kind of there, and you know you've got to carry that with you. Or maybe it's financial pressure, or maybe it's some type of sickness, and that is your cross to bear. And you would even say, this is what I've got to put on my back, and I've got to carry this around. This is my burden. This is my cross to carry. That's not what Jesus was talking about at all. See, when Jesus carried his cross to be crucified... No one in this crowd was thinking that the cross was symbolic of anything at all. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing alone. That was death by something very painful and very humiliating, the most painful, the most humiliating way to die that humans had invented to date. And that's exactly what they were thinking when Jesus said, hey, why don't you just take up your cross and follow me? That's what it's going to take if you really want to be my disciple. It's interesting because in this paragraph, nobody starts to jump up and down and celebrate that. Like, yeah, Jesus said, take up your cross. I mean, let's go for it. I'm ready to do that. I'll pick that thing up, and I'm ready to go. This will be a wonderful thing. Take up your cross. Let's go. Nobody's doing that because they got what Jesus was saying. As a matter of fact, they're kind of doing the opposite. They're beginning to back up and say, wow, this is a really difficult thing that you're talking about, Jesus. And I don't know if we're ready for that. I don't know if we can do that. As a matter of fact, I think I need to check my voicemail or find a bathroom somewhere here. I need to get out of this arena because this is too hard. It's just too hard. And so picking up your cross was not a symbolic thing to them. It was very serious. And they got a little tipped over when Jesus began to talk this way. It was very intense. So if it doesn't mean something symbolic, what does this actually mean for us today? Well, here's the basic meaning. Taking up your cross is a call to absolute 100% surrender to following after God. Absolute 100%. Those are terms to kind of just dump into your mind as you think about picking up your cross. Absolute 100%. It's saying to God, all of me is all in all of the time. All of me. All in. All of the time. All of me is all in 
all of the time. See, it's about self-denial and sacrifice. And part of following Jesus means that there has to be some level of sacrifice in our lives. It means we place ourselves under others. It means we share. It means we give away. It means we don't grab for power. Instead, we let other people do that. And we humbly serve and we deny ourselves and we pick up this cross That sometimes, yes, may involve a little bit of pain and a little bit of suffering, but we do that because this is how we actually follow Jesus. It's absolute 100% surrender. It is all of me being all in all of the time. It's not picking and choosing when I want to do that. It's just all of the time. And that's why this crowd began to back away saying, yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm up for that. I'll pick some spots, but that's a little intense. And quite honestly, I do the same thing. And maybe you find yourself in the same spot. Absolute, 100% surrender, all of me, all in, all of the time. It's kind of intense. Jesus goes on to further explain what it means to take up your cross by contrasting two different types of lives. The life of the individual who wants to save their life and then the life of the individual who wants to give up their life. We see this in verse 24. If you try to hang on to your life, you will what? Lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will what? Save it. So there's two key phrases here. Lose it or save it. Now we could kind of park here for a little bit and just think about what kind of life do you want to live? You want to lose it kind of life? Or do you want to save it kind of life? I think we're probably all in this together by saying we want the save it kind of life. And this is an incredible paradox because the person who primarily focuses on saving their life, they're the ones who are going to lose it. It's not going to work out for them. But the individual who places their life into the hands of Jesus, the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sins and calls us to him. When we do that, when we give up our life, place it right there in his loving hands, then we actually save our lives. We find it. But to get that, we must make the decision to embrace the call to absolute 100% surrender, all of me is all in all of the time. That's the path we have to be on. Met with somebody this past week and we sat down and just had a fascinating conversation about how following Jesus often leads you to do the opposite of what you think you should do. And when you walk through the pages of scripture and you investigate the life of Jesus, you discover that he's very counterculture. Like if culture is all moving in this direction and going over here, Jesus is often walking the other way and people just didn't get him. I mean, Jesus said, if someone hurts you, turn the other cheek and let them hurt you some more. And we don't think that way, do we? That's kind of counterculture. I mean, imagine if people did that, that would be a shocking thing. That's what Jesus does because he's counterculture. He turns things upside down. Jesus said, if your enemy is hungry, give them something to eat. 
if they're thirsty, give them something to drink, and that's just counterculture. Jesus said the first, they're going to be last. And the last, the most humble individual, the person on the bottom, those who are marginalized and have been pushed to the edges of society, those are the ones who will be first. Jesus was always spinning things around and he's doing that here in Luke chapter nine. And I believe he's doing that right here in this room where we are beginning to wrestle with and think about what it means, absolute, 100%, all of me, all in, all of the time, a lose it life or a save it kind of life. So as you think about this intense challenge in Luke chapter 9, that it's not just some nice little symbol and here's my little cross, my little burden to bear and I'll carry that through life. It's much more than that. It's about being all in. I've got some questions for you to think about. What if following Jesus meant that you had to let go of your dreams and your plans? That's a really tough thing, isn't it? Because I think we're really good about planning and about dreaming. And a lot of times God will use that and our dreams and our plans will coincide. They'll work together with what Jesus wants to do in our life. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? What if following Jesus means that I've got to let go of my dreams and my plans and maybe chase something that's entirely different? And what would that look like? What if following Jesus meant you had to let go of the comfort and the security you've worked so hard to attain? I hate that question because a lot of life seems to be about preparing for comfort and security at some point. Like we work really, really, really hard and we put a lot of effort in and then at some point there's going to be a little bit of peace and comfort and security there and that's when I get to rest and maybe Jesus thinks in a different kind of way. What if absolute surrender, what if being all in all of the time with all of me means that we have to let go of the comfort and the security that we work so hard to get What if following Jesus and living out his mission in significant ways meant a deeper level of investment and service in his church? What if it meant that? Take up your cross. Absolute. 100% surrender. All of me, all in, all of the time. I think I want to take some time now just for us to think about this. Instead of just rushing out the door and moving on to whatever it is that we're going to do the rest of today, I want to take some time for us just to internalize and think about what God might be whispering into our hearts about absolute surrender and all of me, all of the time. And so I want to encourage you just to use this next moment to think about these words and think about the challenge in Luke chapter 9 and consider what God might want for you when it comes to taking up your cross. A couple of takeaways for us. Here's the first one. Take one step. 
you think about this journey of taking up your cross, start with one step. And this is actually what we find in verse 23. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. So here's the outline. Turn from your selfish ways. What does that look like for you? And I'm asking myself the same question. Turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, submit, place yourself under all of the time, and then follow. Follow. You know, what's the one thing that you can do today as you think about all of this that will push you and help you scoot a little bit closer to Jesus? What's that one thing, that one step? There might be 10 things that you know you need to do, but what is that one thing that you can start today, that one step that will scoot you a little bit closer to taking up your cross? I want you to think about this statement. The journey of following Jesus is about laying down our agenda and getting in on his really what it's all about, laying down our agenda and our dreams and our hopes and our comfort and our security and getting in on his because if we try to hang on to our life, we're going to lose it. It's not going to work out. But if we take our one life and we place it into the hands of the one who paid the price for us, we'll live. We'll live. And so what's that one step? that you can take today. Here's the second takeaway, and that is there's no one greater to follow than Jesus. There just is no one greater to follow than him. He's the one who rose from the dead. Let's just roll with that. Like he got up, he died, and then he rose again. There's nobody greater to follow than somebody who does that, and that's what he accomplished. And so there's no one, absolutely no one greater to follow than him. He's worth it. And I want to give you that chance and that opportunity today. If you've never trusted in him, take up your cross. It's time to do that absolute 100% surrender. It's all of me, all in, all of the time. Father, we thank you so much for what we discover in Luke chapter 9. A fascinating author who followed you around and very accurately recorded for us the different things that you said. And so here we find you speaking to a crowd saying, take up your cross. It's a hard thing. It's difficult. It means everything, but be willing to do that because those who give up their lives for my sake are the ones who will live. So God, I pray all across this room that you would help us to be thinking about ways to do that now. Help us to be ready to take a step. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. You know, maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus alone before and you kind of get that he is a wonderful person who came and lived and said some hard things, but not only did he live, he died and he rose again, paying the price for our sins and he's worthy of our complete trust. And you're just ready to do that. If that's you, 
I just encourage you from your heart to God's ears, just offer this up to him. Say, dear God, I know that you love me. I know it. And I know that I've messed up and I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for my sins. I believe that. And I know he rose again. And so right now I'm going to trust in him alone. I'm not going to add anything to that. I'm simply going to trust alone in the work of Jesus. I invite him to be my leader and my forgiver. Thank you for saving me. If that's something that you've offered up to Jesus for the very first time, I want to say to you, you have someone who will be with you forever, a forever friend. And now you get the great joy of beginning this journey where you take up your cross and you surrender your life to him, the one who paid it all for you. And he's worth it. He's worth it. Maybe you've taken that step already. Would you just take a moment here and offer up a prayer to God and say, God, here's what I'm going to do as I walk out of here in just a moment. Here's how I'm going to scoot closer to you. Just offer that up to him. God, thank you for your love for us. You are amazing. And even when you throw out some intense challenges to us, we know that's all done out of your great love and compassion for us. So I pray that you'd help each and every person here today to just respond appropriately with whatever it is that you want for us. Thank you for today. God, help us all to take up our cross absolute, 100% surrender, all of me, all in, all of the time. It's in your name that we do pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 915 and 11 a.m.